Welcome to episode number 181 of the Pioneering Today podcast. We're going to be talking about today, I'm going to be giving you my game plan, so to speak, for managing the rest of the gardening season, specifically to make sure that I don't get overwhelmed and that I get in the crops that I need to maximize the amount of harvest time that we have so that I have fresh food coming on as long as possible while we're also preserving the harvest. Now, if you are one of the members of the Pioneering Today Academy, you're going to recognize this from our latest challenge where I laid all of this out for you. But I thought that this was so good for people to have set up for them that I wanted to make sure that I shared it with the rest of you guys through the podcast and the blog post that accompanies every single podcast episode so that you have this available to you as well. Plus, we're not open right now for enrollment for new members inside the Academy. So I wanted to get this out to you for this growing season. Now, little heads up, we are going to be having a quick open enrollment period before we hit the major preserving time where we're not only growing our food, but we're preserving it for a year's worth. And so if you are on the notify list, you will get an email that lets you know when we're open. It's only going to be for a few short days. And you can get in and find out a little bit more about the Academy if you're not familiar with it. But you're going to want to be on that notify list so that you know and you don't miss that opportunity because we'll only be open for a couple of days. And then we won't be opening back up again, probably for this year, maybe in the fall, but it won't be during the summer months. You can get all of the links and the information, everything that I'm going to be talking about in today's episode at melissaknorris.com forward slash 181, because this is episode number 181. And you'll also find the link there to get on the notify list. Also, if you go to the website, which is melissaknorris.com, no big surprise there, right? You'll see a Pioneering Today Academy. And if you click on that button, if we're not open for enrollment, which we're not right now, it'll go straight to the notify page. You just pop in your name and email, and then I'll shoot you out an email when I can notify you. You can get in again or to find out more information. So let's get to the topic at hand, growing more food without the overwhelm. Amen. One of the things is when we look at our fertilizer and container plants. Now, this may pertain exactly to your container plants, but it also may pertain to some of your regular plants in raised beds or your regular just in-ground annual vegetable garden. And we have a mixture of these on our homestead. And you'll find a lot of gardeners do a mixture of things. They find some plants do better than others, and they just make everything work to their best advantage. And for most people, that's going to include different types of growing medium, hence raised beds, container plants, and just straight in-ground gardening. During the growing season, so at the time of this recording, y'all, it is the tail end of May. So for us living here in the Pacific Northwest, we are just getting going with gardening. And for a lot of the U.S. in May, you're getting gardening unless you're in the really southern, like super duper hot places, then you kind of have to take the summer off from doing a lot of your vegetable garden. But for a lot of us, things are just getting going. So with your container plants specifically, but also this could pertain to your in-ground garden plants as well, especially if you didn't amend your soil or you need to give some additional nutrition throughout the growing season. You want to make sure that you have whatever type of fertilizer on hand that you're going to be using, that you have it. You know where it is and you've got it. Now, we only use organic methods here 
as natural as possible on our homestead with our plants. So the type of fertilizer that I use with my container plants is I use an organic fish concentrate. And so I just put a certain amount in. Usually it's a couple tablespoons, but you'll want to go by what the bottle says that you actually get concentration wise per square footage or per the type of plant that you are using and feeding. But you mix it in, you just dump that in, and then you fill your container up with water. I have a two-gallon watering jug that I use, and then I water my container plants with that. I'm telling you this because, oh my goodness, I swear that I had like half a container left. I could not find it. I went on my schedule to go and water the container plants with the fertilizer and Lo and behold, I've been really big on organizing, you guys. And organizing is great because then you have things when you need them so you don't miss it, right? And then you don't overbuy of things because you don't realize, oh, I already had this. I did not need to buy more of it. So you save yourself money in the long run. However, sometimes I get on these organization kicks and I organize so well that I organize to the point where I don't know where I put something. I know, befuddles the mind and you're like, well, that kind of defeats the point of organizing. Oh, trust me, I know. Anyways, in my fit of organization, I didn't put it where I usually put it and I couldn't find it, which was frustrating because I know that there was some left, not a ton in the container, but there was some left and I didn't have a backup. That's why you're getting this tip brought to you now make sure that you've got your fertilizer on hand, okay? So place your order, put it on your list. If you're not ordering it online, if you're getting it from a local store or local place, do so. I do use compost and compost is great. And I do homemade compost. We make it all up ourselves. And I do add that biannually. So in the spring and the fall, I will add compost to my containers. But because I'm growing so much in my containers and because container plants specifically don't have a raised gardening bed that has larger parts of soil. And when I talk a raised gardening bed, I mean where the bottom is not in a container. The bottom is open to the soil and the ground beneath. It just can have sides and be elevated soil or in-ground gardening. Then that dirt and those plants benefit from the runoff and the other food. But when you're in a smaller container, for me, I have found that compost, though it's a great addition and I do add it into the, the soil in those containers in the fall and the spring that I still need to do some type of fertilizer. There's not enough nitrogen and other nutrients in that compost to take it through the entire season and to get good growth and a good harvest off of those plants. Just wanted to put that out there. (laughs) Now, my regular in-ground gardening bed, I don't usually use any type of liquid fertilizer in. This I just use for my concentrated growth in container, just to specify. But I will talk a little bit about using that liquid fertilizer sometimes with in-ground planting. And we'll get to that in just a minute. For anything that I'm talking about today, as I said, you can get those at melissacanorris.com forward slash 181. And I will post a link to the organic fish fertilizer that I use on our plants. So you can, if you want to see the exact one that I use, you can check that out. So I do a, and this we're going to talk about a lot more in depth, but for the first step, When I am fertilizing my containers during the main part of the growing season, I apply it ideally every two to three weeks. Now, I'll kind of let the plants tell me. I'll kind of look at the way that they're growing, if they're slowing down, if leaves are starting to show signs getting paler, maybe a little bit yellow, then I know that I shouldn't wait and I should do it at every two weeks. But usually every two to three weeks, sometimes four weeks, if I have not done the tip that I'm going to tell you to do now and I just forget and time gets away from me. So put it on your calendar. If you use 
the calendar on your phone. So if you've got a smartphone, just put that thing in there as a reoccurring and have it every two or three weeks. Pick what your thing is that it tells you, hey, you need to fertilize the container plants. So then it pops up as a reminder. Boom, you know it. You don't forget it. You don't miss it. Now, if you're old fashioned, y'all know I love old fashioned stuff. I use a combination of both to tell you the truth, but write it out right now. Go to your calendar. Well, not if you're driving, but as soon as you get to a place where you're near your calendar, go in and write out on the calendar once a month or every two weeks, whatever you're going to use and write yourself a note to fertilize so that you don't forget. And that's why I said have that fertilizer concentrate on hand already if that's what you're using. So then it's just boom, easy. You can get it done in less than 10 minutes. Usually you can get everything watered with fertilizer that needs to be done. And you're going to keep that rotation up. Now, with container plants, especially not so much annuals, but I'm talking perennials. So with some of my container plants, we use those big half gallon whiskey barrels. And I have got a lot of my herbs. Majority of it is herbs, but my perennial herbs, and sometimes I'll stick annual herbs in there with them. But my perennial herbs specifically is what this tip is for. You want to stop fertilizing those about at least four weeks before your first average hard frost date in the fall. So a killing frost because you need that plant. You don't want it to keep sending out tender new growth, which using fertilizer helps, which yay, we like that during the growing season. But with your perennials, you want it to stop that or to discourage that so that when that first frost hits, it doesn't damage that new tender growth that you're already kind of hardening off the plant, so to speak, for those colder temperatures. So I stop fertilizing about a month before I know we're going to get our first average frost date for perennials. Now for annuals, it doesn't matter. Go ahead and fertilize them bad boys up right up until the first frost because that first frost is going to kill them no matter what. But I'm talking about perennials. So if you have them mixed in the same container, which I do with some of mine, then the annuals obviously don't get any fertilizer. They stop at the same point as the other ones. So, but I'm telling you that because I want your perennials to last you for years and years and years and years. And so that's best tip and best advice there so that they don't get harmed by that hard frost and they make it through and they winter over for you. Tip number one was to schedule out, have our fertilizer on hand, right? Schedule it out on your weekly basis. Now we're still talking scheduling and You're probably thinking like, man, can I just plant stuff and let it grow? Yeah, you absolutely can. (laughs) And I've done that. But these tips, I promise, are really going to help you. And you're going to be glad that you implemented them if you do so. Now, this next tip, we're talking about succession planting. So I want you to schedule out your succession planting because if you are like me, y'all life is busy, right? We are not just gardening. We've got regular day jobs or we're working for home. We've got kids. Maybe we're homeschooling. If we're not homeschooling, we're making sure that they get back and forth. And regardless if they're homeschooling or not, you are helping with homework. A lot of them have sports. If you don't have kids still at home, you probably have grandkids that you are going and seeing and participating with them. You've got pets. If you're on a functioning homestead, you have got livestock. I mean, life is just busy. I don't care who you are, where you live or what stage you're in life is busy. I have found that if I schedule things out, that way I'm a lot less likely to miss the dates or to miss doing it. So sorry, I had to do a little bit of preaching there. I got in a little bit of a soapbox, but it's because I've learned by trial and error. I've missed a lot of things or been irritated with myself because I waited too late and missed them for that growing season. So that's why I'm stressing the importance of this. Okay. 
schedule out your succession planting. This is especially true for me with fall crops, which we'll talk about in a minute, but also those things that don't really lend themselves well to preserving that we just like to eat fresh. And that is going to be lettuce and greens. Now, spinach, you can freeze your spinach and you can dehydrate it. But let's be real. There's not a lot of ways to really preserve lettuce. You're not canning it. Lettuce, you're not freezing and then trying to thaw out and where, you know, it's going to be slimy. It just, it doesn't work for that. Now you could, if you wanted to, I suppose, try to dehydrate lettuce. It's a green, you could dehydrate it and grind it up into some type of powder, but I'm just not going to mess with that to tell you the truth. Not with lettuce. Lettuce is one we grow. I love to have it for fresh greens and salads and all of that kind of stuff, but it's not one of my preserving crops. So I still do grow it. But with my lettuce, I don't want to put in one long, big row and plant it. It is something lettuce you can plant earlier in the year. So it's a little bit more cold hardy. So you can grow it in the earlier spring and into the fall, usually just fine as well as through the summer. And there's different varieties that do well more with colder weather and then ones that will do better in the hot summer months so it doesn't bolt, especially when we're talking spinach greens. Spinach loves to bolt, which just means it goes to flower and seed really fast in hot temps, and then it turns bitter and it goes to seed, so it stops producing lovely greens for you. Okay, sorry for the little side note there. Succession planting, this is what I do with smaller crops that I want to eat fresh, as I said. So what I do is I will make sure that I have provided in my garden planting and my crop rotation and space-wise, I will leave some empty space. So I will plant my lettuce And I'll plant some of my radishes and my beets. These are usually the ones that I tend to do a little bit more succession planting with than other crops. This year, I'm going to do it with some of our zucchini, actually, so that I have fresh zucchini going longer into the fall and before the plants really get spent. But you leave a certain amount of space, and then I only sow enough that we're going to be eating fresh off of. Now, if you plan on doing pickled beets or you want to can your beets and pickled radishes and that type of thing, then you're going to want to make sure that you've put in enough at once to meet the specific needs for however many quarts or pints you want to put up for your family. But for the fresh eating is what I'm referring to right here. So I will plant about 20 radishes and then I will save a part of the row. And then in about two to three weeks, because your radishes will come to harvest time in about three weeks time. So in like two weeks, then I'll plant another small section. So then I've always got a fresh crop ready to harvest week after week after week. And I don't have the entire row coming up all at once because I like to have fresh food during the growing season. I want enough to preserve, but that's kind of the beauty of your garden is you've got this fresh food and you get to eat it fresh. So I use the succession planting especially for lettuce greens and my beets and radishes so that I've got those fresh ones coming up. Mark it down on your schedule if you want to do that and just put a little note every two to three weeks to sow that crop, whatever it is, for your succession planting. And then you're going to have those fresh greens and those fresh things to eat all season long. One thing that we need to talk about, and this is going to go right into our fall planting, which you're thinking, Melissa, This is coming at me live like the beginning of June. It isn't even technically summer yet on the calendar. Why are you talking about fall crops now? Well, because now this is going to depend on your gardening zone, y'all. So whenever your first average frost date is in the fall where you have that killing frost, that is going to revolve around when you actually plan out your fall crops. But if you're new to doing fall crops, you actually have to get those things growing in the summer months before fall hits. 
So they continue to grow and be harvested well into fall, but it's actually the midsummer that you're going to do most of the planting of those crops. Because if you wait until fall to sow them, then they're not going to have a chance to grow and to get large enough to sustain and to be able to harvest before those cold temps hit. And then they put it into hibernation and they really slow the growth and or the plants may rot if they're not at a a large enough harvestable time by the time those really cold temps come in and you get lots of rain and or snow. With your fall crops, I'm telling you to put that in your schedule in your calendar now too. For us, you're going to need to know what your first average frost date is first off, because that's going to tell you how far back to count by the weeks on when to sow these crops for fall. For me, usually our average frost date is anywhere from mid-September to the 1st of October, and it varies just by a couple weeks based on the year. So you kind of can just, for me, I always just plan that it's going to be mid-September, and then if it comes later, yay, and if it comes early, I'm still covered. For us, it's about mid to end July that I need to start sowing my brassica crops. So I need to be starting those kale from seed. I need to be starting my cabbage, my cauliflower, my broccoli, those type of things. I actually, Brussels sprouts, I put in earlier. I put those in in May so that they are ready to harvest by the first frost. I don't actually try to do a new crop of the Brussels sprouts. They usually, for me, they take a little bit longer to grow. I don't include those in my brassicas just just so you know, just from experience with our growing season. Here's the tricky thing. With cooler lettuce and even your radish and beets, they don't like that hotter soil temperature and it's harder to get them to germinate. But you need to get them going when it's like the hottest part of the year for us to have that fall harvest. So I actually do, which seems kind of weird. A lot of those things I will need to seed start indoors. Now, radishes, the great thing about your radishes is they come to harvest, like I said, in about 21 days. So usually with the radishes, if it's like the first of September and they're cool hardy, they'll go through some of those frosts. Those I can just direct seed the first part of September and I'm still going to get a harvest in. My beets take a little bit longer. So I will try to direct sow those into an area of the garden soil if I can provide some type of shade to kind of cool down the soil to get them to germinate and then to grow. Once they're growing, for me, then it's okay if they do get a little bit hotter but it's that germination phase. They really don't like to be very hot. So for, like I said, my kale, cabbage, broccoli, all of those cauliflower things, those I seed start indoors because I can control the temperature of the soil indoors a lot easier than I can out in the garden where the sun's just beating down on it mercilessly no matter what. So I will seed start those the end of July, beginning of August, and then I can transplant them out once the temps during the day have dropped a little bit as we get nearer to September and the nights and stuff start to cool down. But if I don't get those done and have it marked and like, hey, you got to start these now, if I am even two weeks off, that can be the difference between me getting a harvest off those in the fall and not. Because I've had where I have started them too late. This happened to me last year with the beets. See, I'm, I'm like, I'm just telling you all the stuff I did wrong. <laughs> I wanted to do a fall crop of our beets and our carrots. Now, the carrots were fine. They weren't big enough to harvest in the fall, but they hibernated over. And then they were the first thing they started growing again in the spring, very similar to garlic when you plant garlic in the fall. They begin to grow in the spring as soon as temps started to warm up a little bit. And I'm going to be getting my harvest of carrots from what I planted last fall, actually right now, they're harvestable size. So I'm starting to harvest carrots. 
Of course, I've sown new batch of carrots too, so I've got them coming up. But the beets, I waited too long and they were too small. They weren't developed enough. And so when those cooler temps hit, it put them into hibernation. But because they were so small, they didn't have a really good root system on them yet or a bulb. They just rotted. And so I didn't even get to harvest them at all. They weren't big enough to harvest. I mean, you could kind of harvest the beet greens a little bit off of them. But even then, those beet greens are going to really slow down. They just go into hibernation mode when it becomes really cold out. I missed the boat on getting a crop of beets in in the fall because I waited just two weeks was really it. I waited two weeks too long. That's why I say for your fall crops, plan out what fall crops you're going to be putting in and then count backwards from your first average frost date in the fall so you know when you need to have those bad boys going if your seed's starting or direct sowing into the soil, put it in your calendar. And if you need to order any more of those seeds or you're out of those seeds, then you've got that done ahead of time so that they're, it's all there waiting for you by the date that it needs to happen based on where you live. Now, one other thing, this is talking back about garlic and onions. So your garlic, especially if you planted them in the fall, which is when we plant our garlic, sometimes if I miss the fall planting time, then I have put them in in late winter, really early spring, as soon as the ground was workable, meaning it wasn't frozen hard and wasn't covered under feet of snow. But typically your garlic, when it's planted in the fall, so September, October-ish, you're going to be harvesting it in about July, about mid to end of July. That means that most people have 45, 60, maybe 90 days if you've got a later average first average frost date in the fall of growing time in that spot before the cool temps really come and kick in. Plan what are you going to put in that spot when you harvest your garlic? Because you've got enough time to grow something. If you're a more northern cold climate, of course, you're going to want to pick something that you could grow there that's going to come to harvest faster. So that may be a crop of radishes or some carrots, depending on how many days you've got there. Have that planned out though. When you pull that crop up, what's something that you can put in there that you can grow and you're going to get a harvest on? It may be some of your greens, could be lettuce, could be greens, but pick whatever it is. Have it ready to go. Know what you're putting in there so that you've got the seeds. I think you guys are sensing a theme here, right? That you've got it all lined up so it just goes boom, 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 and you're not scrambling like, oh, I'm out of that type thing. Now, talking about taking out the overwhelm, that might seem overwhelming to you like, oh my goodness, I need to schedule and write all this out. Really like 10 minutes and then it's there for you. You don't have to think about it. You just look at your calendar and there it is. I promise it helps take out the overwhelm and it makes sure that you don't miss planting dates. The other thing talking about overwhelm, what's one of the most overwhelming things when you're talking about gardening? Probably weeding, right? (laughs) At least it is for me. The harvest part we love. We can sometimes get overwhelmed with the harvest when we have a lot coming on at once, which succession planting is going to help you with that on applicable crops. Weeding can definitely be overwhelming. Now, there's lots of things that we can do to help with the weeding. In fact, you can go back to episode number 178, which is natural weed control and heirloom flowers in the garden. And we talk about some natural ways to help cut back on the amount of weeds that you're going to pull. But if you listen to that episode, you already know there's going to be some hands-on weeding. I don't care what method it is that you use. You can cut back on the amount of weeds that come up, but there is always going to be some amount of weeding with a vegetable garden. It's just the way it is. So listen to that for tips so that you can help cut back on them. But no, there's going to be some weeding that needs to come in. And that's where this tip comes in. If you are a procrastinator or you're super busy, which I get, I tend to be both if truth be told, 
Sometimes we don't even look or we don't get out to the garden until the weekend. If you have a typical where you're working through the weekend, you have weekends off. And then, especially in the height of growing season, you have got probably a couple hours worth of weeding to be done, if not an entire day. And that's really overwhelming. And it makes you just kind of want to pull your hair out instead of the weeds. And you're just like, oh, I'm just done. It's just too much. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to eat this elephant of weeds one bite at a time. What I mean by that is most of us, and this was when I learned to do this and it made a big difference when I was working my day job. So I was commuting back and forth as a pharmacy tech at 18 miles one way away. And I was also doing this. I was podcasting, had the membership going, was writing the books, had the website. So I was essentially working two jobs and I was putting in 60 plus hours a week between the two together as well as running our homestead and having family life. So I'm telling you that because I'm telling you, I understand busy and feeling like you don't have any time. But here's the deal. Most of us every day, maybe not every day, but at least every other day, most of us, I know there's always exceptions. Most of us can find, if we're being honest with ourselves and what we're doing with our time, most of us can find 10 to 15 minutes a day either in the morning or in the evening when we're home if we are leaving our homes for employment or something else, right? Put it down. (laughs) You're noticing a theme here, right? Write her down, my friends. Put it down those 10 minutes and commit and say, I am going to weed for 10 minutes. Set a timer if you need to. If you have smartphones, which a lot of people have smartphones, not everybody, but good chance for listening to a podcast. You're probably like me and you're listening to it from a podcast app on your phone while you're out in the garden, while you're running chores, while you are driving back and forth to work. Take that smartphone and take my podcast while you're doing it. Put your 10 minutes on a timer on your phone. Go out there and you weed for 10 minutes. You will be surprised, I kid you not, at how much you get done in just 10 minutes. If you've got the extra time to add another five so that it's 15 or even 20, great. But do that. And just commit to doing that. If you can't do it every day, do it every other day and rotate through what needs to be weed. And you'll find that if you do that and you can stay on top of it, it takes away the overwhelm. The weeds don't get out of control. And then you set up a rotation. So you're just doing 10 to 15 minutes a day and you're staying on top of it, which is key. It's kind of like with laundry. If you can stay on top of it and not have that mountain, oh my goodness, it's just part of your normal day, part of your normal routine. And you're always on top of it. It's pretty much always done because you're doing it every day. That's my tip with the weeding. And then while you're out there and weeding, you know, that allows me to take a look at that section of the garden. Is there, am I showing signs of water distress? Is there any type of disease that might be coming on? You know, do I need to do some thinning? Just that daily time spent in the garden, even if it's a small amount, goes back to that whole, it's easier to spot things early on. If you spot things early on, it's so much easier to take care of it than it is if you let it go. And I'm talking pests, I'm talking disease, I'm just anything that has to do with your plants. The earlier you catch it, the much better chance you have of them getting rid of it and it's not a big deal. Now, some other methods of weed control beyond what I shared with you in that past podcast episode. I'm also going to have a YouTube video showing some of the things that we use for natural weed control as well. And you will find the link to that within this podcast episode, or just make sure that you are subscribed to the YouTube channel, that you hit that little bell on there, and it'll send you out a notification whenever our new video goes live every Wednesday morning. 
Okay, guys, we are up for the verse of the week, one of my favorite parts. And from your guys' emails and comments and reviews, most of you really enjoy this part too, which I'm so glad. So I'm going to be sharing from Mark chapter 4, verse 19. And this is from the Amplified Translation of the Bible. Then the cares and anxieties of the world and distractions of the age and the pleasure and delight and false glamour and deceitfulness of riches and the craving and passionate desire for other things creep in and choke and suffocate the word and it becomes fruitless. I felt this was a very applicable verse with so many meanings, especially beings we're talking about growing things and gardening and staying on top of weed control. Because just like with our spiritual side and things of the world, the weeds, it's a perfect metaphor. And I have found that when I'm out in the garden, I don't know about you, but when I am out in the garden and my hands are down in the dirt and I'm seeing the entire beautiful knit together cycle that God made when he created the world and our food system and just the way everything works together reminds me of if he took that much care to plan out the ecosystem and the way that seeds and that things grow, how much more when he was creating me, when he was creating my family, and as he watches and he guides us and the plans that he has for us, and not just for us, but for you as well. And just like those weeds, if I don't stay diligent on them and pull them out, they are going to creep in and choke and suffocate out my plants. And they do it slowly. Sometimes it feels like fast that they grow super fast, but usually it's it's over time. And so if I'm diligently keeping on top of them a little bit each day, then I'm stopping that from happening. So both on the spiritual side and the actual hands-on part in the garden, this was my prayer for myself and my prayer for you as well. And that is, Lord, don't let me become distracted, nor let your word be choked or suffocated. Help me to be fruitful for you in all that I do. And I pray the same thing for you. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this episode. Remember, you can get all of the links to all of the different stuff I was talking about at melissakeandnorris.com forward slash 181 for this episode. And I cannot wait to be back here with you next week. So I hope you have a fabulous growing and garden season and a great week. We'll talk soon.